Welcome to the Love First Podcast, where we are committed to biblical teaching and sharing the principles and the promises of living out our faith according to what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments, loving God with our whole being and loving others as ourselves. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to help build your faith and deepen your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Welcome to week two of our series, The Only Thing That Truly Counts. I have to tell you, I'm super excited about this message because we are going to be talking about the very essence of Christianity today. Now, if you weren't with us last time, or maybe you just kind of forgot what we talked about last time, then you might today be a bit surprised to learn what is really important as we live out our faith. For some of you, uh, I'm about to destroy everything you ever thought of about what the Christian life is all about. And I'm going to give you some information today that for some of you, it is going to absolutely set you free to truly live out your faith. Some of you will jump on board and say, yes, yes, this is what I've always wanted to believe, but I think I've been taught something else. And some of you, well, you might come kicking and screaming into seeing and believing what is really the only thing that counts in our Christian faith. And sadly, some of you might just walk away or even turn off the podcast before you even finish it because you aren't ready to give up the old ways of thinking and go with something a little bit different, which is really the old way, but not the way we've always been taught. Well, let's jump into our text today. Last time we talked about the first five verses of Galatians chapter five. Today, well, we're going to only look at one verse in Galatians 5. We'll jump into a few other verses here and there, but we're really going to focus just on Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. It's a verse that fits so well with this ministry that we've called Love First. Let's read Galatians 1, 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Okay, let's unpack that verse for just a minute. We see that it's talking to the people, both the Jews and the Gentiles, who have already placed their faith in Christ. They are already followers of Christ. And Paul is trying to move these Galatian Christians away from following the old ways, the old traditions, the ways that said they had to follow certain Jewish laws to be a Christian. At this time, the Jewish Christians were telling the newly converted Gentile Christians that they had to be circumcised to be accepted by the church. Well, we mentioned last time that what circumcision was to the first century church, all those rules and regulations, the do's and the don'ts that we talk about today, that we put ourselves that we put on ourselves or that others put on us as to what it really means to be a good Christian now in the 21st century. So what circumcision was to them, all these rules are to us now. Paul goes on to tell the Galatian Christians that whether or not they are circumcised doesn't matter. In other words, 
it isn't important for the Gentile Christians to follow the Jewish law. He says there's no benefit to them by following the Jewish tradition. Now for us, that would mean there's no benefit in following certain traditions, expectations, or even rules that are taught to us that are not really part of the scriptures. And I kind of mentioned one or two of those last week. If you want to go back and hear that, that's awesome. Um, so there's no benefit to us following these traditions. Now, wait a minute, Steve. What'd you just say? Are you saying that there's no benefit for me doing all those things that I've been taught? You mean to tell me that there's no benefit for me to like go to church every Sunday? Or there's no benefit to me to pray? Or there's no benefit to me to read the Bible? Okay, no, not exactly. I'm not exactly saying that. These disciplines of the faith are good for us. They help us grow in our faith. So what Paul is meaning when he says this, that there is no benefit to us, what does that mean? Well, let's unpack the rest of this verse for a minute. It says the only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. Okay, now, now listen carefully here so you don't lose the significance of how this verse is really all put together. You see, it's, it's a comparison thing. If we think we are going to gain God's acceptance, uh, if we think that God is going to love us more, if we do certain things or practice certain disciplines, then Paul is saying that in comparison to the only thing that really counts, guys, that has no value. So yeah, if I go to church every single Sunday, if I read my Bible every day, if, if I pray all the time, several times a day, if I do these things, or maybe I don't do other things, none of it really matters if my faith does not express itself through love. You know, it's just like what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, that famous chapter that's all about love. It's read at weddings and stuff like that. You know the one. The one that lists a lot of things that are seemingly good things, but then it closes it out and says, um, but if I don't have any love, those things are all worthless. That love is the only thing that really counts. Oh, but so often we live with the idea that God is going to love us more if we do certain things. And he'll love us less if we don't do these things. Okay, now I know that most of us really don't believe that. We know the truth that God's love is unconditional. And we believe that, and we have filed that away into the little filing cabinet in our mind under the drawer that says, doctrines that I believe, but I don't really understand or I don't really practice. So why is it that we believe this truth, but when it comes right down to how I, I live my life or how I feel about myself or how I feel about others or even how I feel about God, how come I don't act like I believe that? For example, simple one. Why is it that when I do something as simple as skip church one week, and yeah, I've done that a few times, but if I skip church one week, I feel guilty, and I go and I want to seek God's forgiveness? Okay, now don't get me wrong. When we sin, we should repent from our sin. The Bible tells us that. But 
What repenting means is we're going to turn around and go the opposite direction. To turn from doing something that is wrong and change our way into doing something that is right. But that doesn't change the way that God feels about us. Yet, so many times, we feel like we've disappointed God. And even though we might technically believe that he still loves us exactly the same way, and, and that's true, we just don't feel like he does. But I want you to understand something. This is a pretty simple truth we're talking about today. But I know that when I first began to really understand it, it, it started totally setting me free from feeling like I was a slave, like we talked about last time. And it set me on a course with an entirely new relationship with God. But I'll say this, it's not something easy to follow. It's not something easy to really grasp. When I go to God feeling like I'm just not measuring up and I feel that I'm disappointed him, guys, God puts his loving arm around me and, and says to me, look, there's nothing to forgive here. Everything is great between you and me. Hey, I'm still crazy about you, kid. It's not my requirements that you read your Bible every day. I'm not the one saying that you have to go to church every time the doors open. All I'm asking of you, kid, is to love me with everything you've got. And I want you to love other people and I want you to quit beating yourself up when you don't feel like you're measuring up. Hey, love yourself, kid. The way that I love you. And that, my friends, is what it's all about. Did you catch all that? Did you catch what God does want from us? Let's read verse 6 again. For when we place our faith in Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. When we place our faith in Christ, in comparison to what God really wants from me, there is no real benefit to following all the rules and regulations I've been taught. He doesn't love me more if I read my Bible every day, and he doesn't love me less if I happen to skip church next week. Fill in the blank with the thing that you sometimes feel you need to do to please God. And God's telling you right now, he's telling me right now, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Well, so if this love is so important, what exactly is it? What do you mean love? I, I, I feel love. I, I love. I love God. I love people. Okay, well, you know there are different kinds of love. In fact, according to the ancient Greeks, there are eight different kinds of love. Now, I love to go into depth and talk about all eight of them, and who knows, maybe someday I will. But let's just suffice it to say that God is not talking about all eight levels in this and other passages where he's talking about love. Okay, but just for the fun of it, let's talk about a few common ones we use all the time. How we use the word love. You see, I love a really good steak. You know, 
Sometimes there just isn't anything better than a really good, juicy, thick piece of steak that has been marinated just right and has been grilled to perfection on that grill. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I love a good steak. I'm always grilling one, trying to find just that perfect cut of meat, that perfect rub to marinate it with, and that perfect amount of time on the grill and that perfect temperature. Man, I love a good steak. But uh, that's obviously not the kind of love that we're talking about in Galatians 5, 6. Uh, there's another kind of love that we might think God is talking about here. And yes, it is an important one. And, and that is the love that we feel for our close friends. The Greek termed it as phileia love. It's an affectionate love we feel for our close friends, the bond that holds our friendships together. That I've got your back, you've got my back type friendship, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, that kind of thing. Now, in a way, we might think that this is a good type of love and that it fulfills the concept of faith expressing itself through love because it expresses itself through a connection you have with someone else. But as good as that is and as important as it is, and we all need to have people in our lives that are this that we have this kind of connection to it's still not really showing the whole picture of what this concept of love is talking about in Galatians 5 6 and other passages now for those Bible scholars out there or those who just love the Greek language you already know that I'm referring to what we know what is known as agape love that is the kind of love that God has for us it's an unconditional and a selfless love. It is the kind of love that sacrifices our own time, our own things that we like to do, and our own finances, other things like that, to help other people. It's the kind of love that God used when he sent his son to die for us. So you see, maybe the only thing that really counts Faith expressing itself through love is not as easy as we might first think. It's not a simple love. It's a sacrificing love. Well, let's dive into this a little bit farther. How do we express this kind of love? Or at least how do we express something that approaches this kind of love? Because we're never going to have that pure love that God the Father has. Well, the first question I want to answer is, who do we love? You know, I used to think there were only two directions that we could love, the vertical and the horizontal. And my attention went to what that means. The vertical kind of love is that love between us and God. You know, it starts with God. God loves us unconditionally. John 3.16 says that God loves the world that he gave his son for us. Romans 5, 8 says that while we are in the midst of our sins, Christ died for us. Now, hey, we can go a lot deeper into God's love for us. And I can promise that we will, throughout this ministry, we will do that in other messages. But unless I want this particular podcast to go way too long, I think we've already touched enough about this one, about God's love for us. But what about our love for God? 
How do we demonstrate our love to God? See, we usually get hung up on the wrong way of showing love to God. We think we show love to God by practicing certain disciplines. We pray, we read the Bible, we go to church, etc., etc. Um, we raise our hands in worship. We say amen to points the pastor says. We do all of this, and, and well, that means that we're showing love to God, right? Wrong. I think, though, that at least unknowingly, the church has often taught us that this is, things like this is how we show our love to God. I mean, they may not have done that in so many words, but somehow that's what we tend to think. But I want to stop for a minute and pull away from what we've heard, what we think, and let's just look and see what does God say? How does God say that we best show our love for him? Well, 1 John 5, 3 tells us that loving God means keeping his commandments. Uh oh, wait a minute, Steve. Haven't you just been preaching to us that this is not about do's and don'ts? Yeah, I have. And I'm not changing that stance. Whereas 1 John 5, 3 tells us that loving God means keeping his commandments, Galatians 5, 14, just a few verses down from Galatians 5, 6, the one we're talking about today, uh, tells us that the whole law can be summed up in just one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the whole law is not even summed up in the idea that we are to love God with everything we got. The whole law is summed up with love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, everything it takes to please God, is summed up in that simple yet much more profound statement than I first realized. Love your neighbor as yourself. So let's put it very simply. We love God by loving other people. Loving other people. That's the horizontal love. We love God vertically. You know, us down here, God up there. We love people horizontally because we're all down here side by side. But get this. This is the real kicker here. According to what we just read in Galatians 5, our vertical love and our horizontal love are shown the exact same way. We love God by loving others. There's no such thing as saying that I love God, but I don't love people. It's impossible. We are only fooling ourselves into believing that we love God if we don't show love to others. Not just the others that are those who are closest to us. Not love just the people that we can tolerate. How about love everyone, including the people that we don't like? That means loving people who are not like me. If I want to truly love God, I need to love them. Not just say the words, yes, I love them. That doesn't mean anything. I have to love them by showing that I love them. Then I show I love God. That means if I'm a Republican, I have to love the Democrat as if their politics don't matter. Because, you know, they really don't. Or if I'm a Democrat, I have to love the Republican and not worry about their views on whatever I want to name here. Because that doesn't really matter. 
But we don't do that very often, do we? Just check our social media. We don't. And I'm not just talking about politics here. How about someone from a different race? Do we truly demonstrate love to people of a different race than we are? Now, before you say, well, yes, of course I do. Stop and ask yourself if when you see someone, you first note their skin color. Do you think of that person as different than you are or different than other people you hang around with because of their skin color? What about social status? Do you find yourself looking down on someone who runs in a lower social circle than you do? If you do, then you truly can't be showing them love, no matter what words you say. Uh, let me get a little bit more personal here, because I know there are so many Christians who, when they see someone who has, say, had an abortion, they look down on them. Or let me even go a little bit deeper. Not trying to offend anybody. But how about someone who is of the LGBT persuasion? Now, I know of many people who are supposedly committed Christians, and I think in a lot of ways they are, but who overtly look down on the gay community. Let me say it a little bit harder than that. Let me rephrase that. They don't just look down on them. They use words like, they disgust me when they talk about them. When they see someone in public who identifies as LGBT, they give them dirty looks. They purposely walk away from them. They won't talk to them. They might even make comments under their breath about how disgusting that sin is. Hey, I even know of churches who have excommunicated people because they were gay. And all the while we stand behind a wall piously using the phrase, I'm hating the sin, but loving the sinner. I'm sorry, but that's just bull You ask anyone on the other side of the equation if they feel that these Christians love them, not just what they are doing, but they actually love them, they will scream out, no way. They don't love me. They don't love what I'm doing. They don't love me. They hate me because of who I am. I know it, it, it sounds good to say we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. It's a common phrase. And I'm sure that we even convince ourselves of that fact because we definitely don't want to say we hate somebody. But hey, reality, if that person doesn't feel like you love them, well, then you're really not living your faith in love. The only thing that really counts. I know several years ago, I worked closely with a team of people who, hey, we literally spent more time with each other than our own families. We flew all over the nation together doing corporate training. And we had a fairly large team doing this. And we were split up sometimes. We would be together other times. Well, I was fortunate to have several Christians on my team. Now, no, it wasn't the majority of the people there, but there were enough to take notice of. But we also had, well, I mean, at least one that I, that I know of who was openly gay. Now, hey, I got along great with him. We worked closely together a lot of times at work. Um, but, and, you know, he got along 
with me, but you know, I can't say that about the other Christians on my team. Oh boy, that was a whole different story. On one hand, they would flat out let him know that they did not like him. On the other hand, a few of those very same people tried to lead him to Christ. Well, he would not even talk to them about it because he sensed that they hated them, hated him. Now get this, every one of the Christians there who he believed hated him all told me the same thing. They didn't hate him, they hated the sin. But this guy couldn't see that difference. Perception, his perception, is reality. And in this case, he really was right. They hated both him and his sin. Now on the flip side of things, and I'm not saying this to tell you how great I am because I'm certainly not. I have probably more flaws than any of the other Christians I work with there. But in this one thing, I had a very different stand. I got along great with him. Yes, he knew where I stood on the issue and he knew I was against, against it. But he also knew that I did not judge him and I never showed disgust toward him. As a result, he and I had many conversations about Christianity and faith and salvation. And though, to my knowledge, he has never become a Christian. It's been years. I totally, he's changed phone numbers and everything. I have no way of contacting him anymore. But I know he was at least moving that direction. But, and he would tell me, the only big hang-up he had were the Christians. Because he looked at them as being judgmental hypocrites. And you know, I gotta admit, most of us are. Okay, so let's, let's all keep in mind one very profound truth when it comes to relating to and loving someone we really don't want to love. Jesus came to die for them. Just like he did for you and just like he did for me. He came to seek and save the lost. The sinners, the very people that disgust us, so many of us as Christians, he came to save. You know, why is it that we expect sinners not to sin? They can't help themselves. That's who they are. They don't have God inside of them, allowing them the strength, the ability not to sin. So instead of judging them because of their sin, let's try to understand the fact that they have to sin. It's who they are. There is no Holy Spirit living inside them. So if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, what does he want from us? If we're going to be like Christ, then shouldn't we be seeking to lead the lost to him? And the truth of the matter is, we can't do that without love. So my point is very simple. If others don't know we are showing love, then we simply are not loving them. There are no two ways about it. And if we don't love others, then, well, we really don't love God. We just have a semblance of loving God, but it's not a full and true love. You see what I mean when I say this is a simple concept, but so very difficult to actually do? 
You know, when I originally put this message series together a few years ago, it looked a little bit different than this because I thought I understood this concept. Loving God equals loving people. Got it. I truly believe that. I understood that the only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. And, and yeah, God brought me through some things over the next few years that enabled me to start understanding what it means to love people. I mean, what does it really mean? Even beyond what we've talked about today, what does loving people really entail? And God began to show me that. And, and hopefully as these message series um, increase and, and continue, and if you're uh, following along with it, you're going to hear a lot of more of what that really means, what it entails. Well, I pretty much thought I had a good handle understanding God's love for me and his acceptance of me. I understood that God and I were good, that I wasn't a disappointment to him. Now, I used to think that. I mean, hey, I had disappointed just about everyone else in my life. But when I came to realize that I've really not disappointed God, that, that each time that I would fall, he would pick me up, give me a hug and say, I've got you, kid. Don't worry about anything. I love you. And hey, I'm crazy about you. And boy, did my vertical love with God get deeper. And, and soon I began to understand that my vertical love with God was dependent on my horizontal love to others. Oh, well, there was a time that I had not really understood that and I had hurt people I loved. But in the last few years, I learned a lot there. And I believe that I had a pretty good grasp on what horizontal love ideal was. Not, not perfect, but at least I was seeing it and trying to follow through with it. So I thought I had a very fairly complete understanding of that first and second greatest commandment to love God with everything I've got and to demonstrate that love by loving others, vertical and horizontal. The two kinds of love that Galatians 5, 6 is referring to when it says the only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. But then, I had a good friend of mine challenge me to look deeper into those two greatest commandments. And when I did, I saw what was in front of my eyes all along, but I could never see it. There were not only two directions of love, the vertical and the horizontal. There were three, the vertical, the horizontal, and the inward. Love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. And that brought me an entire new dimension to everything. I would soon discover that not only was my love for God dependent on my love for others, but my love for others was dependent on my love for myself. Now, now I don't mean that in a narcissist way of thinking. I am not, I am not talking about this overabundance of self-love. I'm talking about a biblical understanding of what God means when he says to love yourself. So let me encourage you to join us next week as we conclude this series with a completely 
different type of message. It's going to be totally different than these first two that you've heard. And this, and I trust that God is going to show you some really deeper truths in it. Like he has me. Truths about yourself. Truths about life. Even about your fears. And I trust that for some of you, it is going to radically change your entire way of thinking about the Christian life. So come back next time for that message. It may be the most important message and it's going to sound totally different. I think maybe you'll enjoy it. So until then, may God surround you with his love and fill you with his grace so that you can live a life of love first. Hi, this is Steve Bittison. If you enjoyed this podcast or if God blessed you or taught you anything in it, I hope that you will subscribe to the Love First podcast and share it with your friends. That way you won't miss any of the upcoming teachings and messages and maybe you will help be a blessing to someone else.